0: Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week I sit down with Dr. Henry Friedman, Deputy Director of the Preston Robert Tisch Brain Tumor Center at Duke University. During our conversation, Henry talks about his professional background his career working to help children and adults with brain and spinal cord tumors, and Duke's initial trials using the poliovirus to treat glioblastoma, a procedure recently documented on 60 Minutes. All right, Henry. Well, first of all, thank you for the time. I know you're a, you're a busy man. So um, welcome to the show. It's really good to have you on. Thank you. Pleasure. So I uh, wanted to start just by learning uh, about your personal background. I was doing some research before the the interview in the past couple of days about how you got to Duke and how you got involved in medicine to begin with. And uh, if I understand your biography correctly, you got into medicine in part because of a television show, and you got to Duke in part because of a woman. Uh, are both of those <laughs> things accurate? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, you must have looked at the, um, probably, I imagine,
1: when I got the faculty award, I mm-hmm. put that on a video out there. Yeah. Um, and so the answer is I got involved in medicine because of a TV show called Dr. Kildare right. with Richard Chamberlain when I was nine. No one in my family had ever been a doctor. No one in my family has ever been a doctor except who I married. Right. And I was just very, very interested in medicine. Mm-hmm. So that was the first step. Mm-hmm. The second thing was Duke, because I followed uh, Joanne, my mm-hmm. wife-to-be, mm-hmm. down here. She came down six months ahead of me in July of 80, and I followed her in January of 81. Mm-hmm. Strictly that was the yeah. reason.
0: Yeah. And in I have to say, in in doing, and I generally do a <coughs> decent amount of research for, for uh, people that I'm interviewing, that the work you guys do here is just so damn inspiring and... I just found myself being so moved by just the the hope that your team and and yourself try to give to your patients. I'm wondering how you deal with the emotion of the work you do. Is that something that just comes with the job? How do you possibly deal with the ups and downs of what your day entails, whether it's talking to patients about good news or bad news? What is that like for you and how do you how do you deal with with what comes with with the job? I started as a pediatric oncologist, Mm. so there you
1: really need to put into place mechanisms to protect yourself, Mm -hmm. because otherwise the agony of seeing sick children and children who die is just an impossible situation, and you put in protective mechanisms that let you remain objective while still keeping your Mm -hmm. empathy for Mm -hmm. the family when I strayed uh, from there into neuro-oncology and then particularly adult neuro-oncology, it's the same thing. Um, Instead of seeing kids who remind you of your kids, you see people who remind you of yourself and your family members. Um, And you have to find whatever protective mechanisms um, you can adopt that allow you to do your work, stay objective, and to um, yet... Um, not be just emotionally distraught Mm -hmm. over every case. Mm -hmm. There are always going to be patients who are going to get past that Mm -hmm. barrier that you put up, so to speak, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just human nature. But for me, um, several things help. One, the knowledge that I'm helping people, even if I'm not curing them. Two, the fact that I can help people get a quality of life. Three, that while they're alive, they have hope, which changes the entire framework under which they live. Mm -hmm. Four, I draw my strength from my family, yeah. um, my wife and two kids who graduated Duke in 2005 and 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have outside activities that are really endorphin releasing. I'm in the gym four days a week. Yeah. I'm racquetball, playing racquetball Fridays, Saturdays, biking or walking the trails on Sunday. You need to do things outside of Duke. Uh, I run a mentoring program for female varsity athletes who want to mm-hmm. go to uh, med school at Duke, and we who want to go to med school, and they're based at Duke as, a, as our athletic. Program mm-hmm. um, and we put a hundred into med school in the last um, oh since about two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on the ESPNW national advisory panel mm-hmm. um, because of I'm um, an overwhelmingly aggressive feminist. Mm-hmm. I mean, he for she. I just believe in a lot of different things, and so mm-hmm. the more things that you're doing that are outside of the direct head-to-head patient um, care makes you more well-rounded mm-hmm. and better able to deal with the kinds
0: of stresses you're talking about because the stresses are immense,
1: mm-hmm. no question.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm a Duke graduate myself. I graduated in 2006. And you know, it, it, I know you've been profiled on a couple of 60 Minutes uh, pieces, and it sounds like there may be another one that's coming up. Um, this program that you run here um, does seem to be doing some of the most important work at this school. And I, it seems like that has been going on now for... 10 or 15 years, if not longer. I know you came here in the mid-'80s. What, what is it about the collection of people here or just the different methods that the, the doctors um, seem to be using that, that make Duke such a unique place for trying to help people with the problems that you see every day? Okay, so I
1: think at least for the last two, two-and-a-half decades, the two crown jewels – in Duke Medical Center, and it's Mm -hmm. self-serving. I've been the Brain Tumor Center and my wife, Joanne Kurtzberg, Mm -hmm. Stem Cell Transplant Program. Those are the two programs that I've heard chancellor after chancellor say are bringing patients from international sources, uh, and referral sources, that is, and that are doing the most cutting-edge work in the field Mm -hmm. that they're in. For us in brain tumors, it's because we've been together a very, very long time. I trained in the laboratory of Daryl who who's head of the um, Brain Tumor Center, the Robert Tisch Brain Tumor Center. Yeah. Um, Alan Friedman, one of the deputy directors. Uh, he was, I think, the best neurosurgeon in the world. Um, uh, I'm a deputy director. John Sampson, who grew up in our program, mm. got his uh, Ph.D. here, trained in neurosurgery here, is now our chairman of neurosurgery. We've been together for decades. Mm. We've been working together. We each shine in our own areas of expertise we don't have many of the ego issues that are operational in many different centers. We've got a foundation of extraordinary um, uh, clinical care based on the um, model that at Duke there is HOPE, which mm-hmm. we coined 25 years ago. We've got a clinical research program that translates our laboratory research into the clinic. Um, polio is a classic example mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. that. Um, I just think that we have avoided many of the um, Landmines that other programs have not been able to avoid, mm-hmm.
0: and I want to talk about the polio uh, initial trials in in, in, a, in a couple of minutes. But it, in in terms of the the, it, it does seem like there is just a relentlessness of re- refusing to um, look into the void and see no hope whatsoever. That it, there there's just a, has been a mentality for a long time that there must be something that can be done to try to improve. As you mentioned, it's not, not everyone that you treat is going to be cured or, or even alive for a couple of years, but it, is, it, is it mostly talent or is it mostly just a mentality of the people that work here? Or like you said, is it? would you say it's primarily just the collection of, of time that you've spent together with with capable people that's allowed you to get the results you, you've gotten? It's a combination. Yeah. If
1: it's only um, relying on it Duke There Is Hope, and we could be just, you know, holding hands with patients saying "kumbaya," mm-hmm. and we wouldn't really be producing anything. So it's well-founded hope. Mm-hmm. It's hope based on the notion that um, we have a body of people that have worked that have worked together for so long mm-hmm. that we're producing meaningful results step by step. Mm-hmm. So it's not just you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. You can't have great research in order for people hope, and you can't have hope without offering them something sure. that the hope is based on. Mm-hmm. The combination together is a formidable weapon.
0: Mm. And in the development of your your <clears> decision <throat> to want to become a doctor and do the work you do, were there historical scientists or doctors that you learned about, that you really looked up to, that you wanted to model your your career after? Another funny
1: story. Uh, I trained in PEDS and then PT Monk with Frank Oski, who was one of the leading pediatric mm-hmm. hematologists of his generation. And as a second-year fellow in Syracuse, S-U-N-Y, Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was assigned to a hematology lab. Mm-hmm. And after three months, came to Frank and said, I hate this. This is boring. I don't like it. I don't want to study red cells. It's just boring. I want to do oncology. And says, oh, great. Another oncologist. Because he was really a hematologist. And mm-hmm. then think highly of oncologist. Yeah. He was a hematologist. Um, by training and by heart. So he says, alright. We're going to send you to Boston. You're going to do three months training in Neuro oncology. When you come back, you'll be our neuro oncologist because no one's doing anything in neuro oncology. Right. And if you do anything, you'll have done something right. unique. Yeah. So when I followed Joanne down here, they sent me to see Cliff Schold, who sent me to see Daryl Bigner. And um, uh, that was based on the fact that John Folletta, who was the division chief uh, in PEDS uh, hematology oncology, said, Well, what do you want to do when you come down here if we you know, accept you? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I'll do neuro-oncology. That's what Frank Oski had suggested. So They sent me to see Bignan because of that. Okay, yeah. All a fluke based on um, somebody I respected telling me, you're not going to do hematology, at least do something in in oncology that's novel. Yeah. That's how I wound up in neuro-oncology.
0: And what was it different about that line of work that you found compelling? Was it the interaction with the patients or just the problems were more interesting to you? just found myself
1: being attracted to oncology, mm. not to hematology. I mean, hematology is wonderful for diagnostics and mm-hmm. for therapeutics, but the research I was doing was boring. Mm-hmm. Comparing the red cell membranes of adult versus cord blood mm. um, or fetal red cells, boring. Mm. Oncology research, I saw a much greater application um, potentially to the patients, to the clinic, mm. It just—it just was much more interesting to me, and mm-hmm. that's why I wanted in on that mm-hmm. and out of uh, hematology
0: research. Yeah. I, I think, for as as you had you had alluded to that, I think the sixty Minutes piece that came out a couple of years ago is is uh, kind of got the, the nation's attention back on the work that you and your team are, are is doing here. Um, if you can just if you could just give it a brief summary of of the work that you're doing. Um, I know the trial results are are preliminary and it's still and its, it's it's early days. But um, how did the idea of using the poliovirus to treat geoblastoma patients come to you? I know initially from that interview, you mentioned that you thought uh, the the proposition of using that um, as a method of treatment was insane. Uh, what changed your mind? What what got you believing that this actually might be something that could could help people? Okay, so
1: let's take a historical dive even further backwards. The sure. first 60-minute story was in 2002. Right. Double segment, a new lease on life, and made us go from a national to mm-hmm. an international center. We were recognized because 60 Minutes goes around the world. Sure. Um, and that just showed the kind of work we were doing with monoclonal antibody therapy, which mm-hmm. at the time was, was a pivotal part of our program. The pol- <coughs> I'm sorry. The polio work is different. The polio work took 18 years mm. to go from the lab to the clinic. Mm. And Matthias Gromeyer initially mm-hmm. at, uh, I think, at Stony Brook, and then when he came to Duke, had had the idea. Mm-hmm. He wanted to use polio mm-hmm. as a viral oncolytic therapy, mm-hmm. and he wanted to do it in GBM. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard it, I said polio. I mean, you know, polio causes polio. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I just don't understand it. And what I said was not that it was crazy. I said on 60 Minutes it was nuts. Mm-hmm. That was my original yeah. assumption. But he stuck to it, proved it with the animal models in our laboratory, and it became obvious that there was something here that was meaningful. Mm-hmm. And, again, 18 years is a long time yeah. from a germ of an idea to the uh, first patient. Mm-hmm. But that's what happened. And the first patient has had a near miraculous response. She's four years out right, without disease. The second patient's four years out mm-hmm. without disease. Mm-hmm. And I think it was when we first started to treat patients that I realized this was something that was not just a far-fetched idea, but this was something that was going to translate into a real successful therapeutic intervention. Hmm. Um, So Matthias was right, Mm -hmm. and the non-believers were wrong. Um, And I have no shame in saying that I was a non-believer in the beginning because I'm part of the old show me, but he did. And I've done my part in the research program, As of all the other members of the team, Mm -hmm. and what we're now seeing in a phase one trial is the kind of survival and impact on tumor you don't expect to see in a phase one trial. Phase one trial is not designed to help patients. Phase one trial is designed to find the appropriate safe dose. Mm -hmm. But we're doing more than that. Mm -hmm. We're actually helping patients, and we learned that you can't use. The philosophy of chemotherapy, which is more is better, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. more is not better. You've got to use a lower dose because you produce too much of an immune response, because this is really a vaccine therapy. It's not the virus killing the tumor it's the primary mechanism of killing. That starts it, but it's the immune system that kicks in at that Mm -hmm. point targeting tumor. And the bottom line is that um, the work is now at a point where we're waiting to hear from the FDA if we're going to get certain kind of, of, of a review called Breakthrough Designation, mm-hmm. which if we do, gives us the ability to run the trial that is the true trial designed to show benefit against patients and get this approved mm-hmm. uh, so it's a commercially available uh, mm-hmm. venue for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what these 60 Minutes episodes last year were mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Now we've done segments three and four, which will air in the next couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and they have indicated a desire to continue this on an annual basis. Right. Or another two to three years mm. to tell this story in a complete fashion.
0: Wow! And what in the in the time since the last 16 minutes piece, and I, I'm assuming there's been some more results from the phase one trial. How are things looking? I know initially, like you said, there were some there were some issues with the dosage, but how are things going now? What what are the what are the results looking like?
1: We li- we think we've got the right dose.
0: Yep. Uh, if We started at dose level one,
1: went up as high as five. We're actually at dose level minus one. Okay. We think that's the dose, which is lower than we started with. Mm-hmm. We think that's the dose that's going to be meaningful in um, uh, the phase two study, mm-hmm. where we're really treating patients. It's uh, a phase two, phase three, actually, mm-hmm. where we're really looking to see if we are increasing survival. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything that we see right now tells us we're on the right path.
0: Yeah. Nothing is proven until yeah. it's
1: proven. But we think this is going to be proven.
0: And, and if things keep going the way that they are, and I think everyone's hopeful that this may be possible, what, what will that mean for uh, people who don't have access to, to the doctors at Duke? If, if this does become commercially available, uh, what are the numbers of people that potentially would get treated by, by this in the country? Is it thousands of people every year that come down with this sort of an ailment? or
1: 13,000 patients a year in the United States are diagnosed with GBM. Mm-hmm. The vast majority fail. It won't all fail in the, in the same way that would allow polio, but many will. Mm-hmm. And the other thing to remember is that the receptor that the modified poliovirus, rhinovirus construct binds to mm-hmm. is on every solid tumor we've seen except Burkitt's lymphoma, which means that already we're beginning to lay out the laboratory work that other groups will do, not us clinically, right. in be it prostate or be it uh, gastric or be it um, colorectal or breast. I mean, the implication for cancer is huge. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that poliovirus alone may not be adequate. Mm -hmm. We may need to do something in combination with chemotherapy, which seems to work better after the vaccine is used. Mm -hmm. We may need to do something with um, things that increase the immune system, like checkpoint inhibitors. Mm -hmm. These are all things that are particularly um, interesting and particularly um, uh, important mm-hmm. um, to make the the, uh, the therapy that much better.
0: Mm. Where does this rank in terms of what you've seen in your career? Is this the most exciting thing you've ever worked on? Where? How does has, number is this, one? Number one,
1: top of the list. Maybe the top of the list for anything that's ever come from Duke and cancer. It's it's exciting.
0: Are you getting requests constantly to go and tour the country to give speeches about this? Or is this is, well, do you feel like
1: it's still under the radar? Again, Matthias Grohmeyer is the brains behind mm-hmm. the construct. Daryl Bigner has done the work with the FDA to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Gordana Vlahovic is the PI of the study. Anique Desjardins has been following this for a very long time, knows mm-hmm. all the patients intimately. My job is really to bring patients here. Mm-hmm. I've helped to fundraise for the fun Phase mm-hmm. One trial, mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sort of the person probably most comfortable on camera mm-hmm. or on radio mm-hmm. to promote the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's out there at all the major meetings now. Mm-hmm. Abstracts are showing this. Um, I think that when people watch the 60 minute segment, what they're going to watch is going to be, or segments, because it's mm-hmm. two segments, right, right. potentially three for all we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to draw international exposure yet again, to the program.
0: What can people who listen to this episode or see these, these programs on 60 Minutes who are just individual citizens who may have financial resources or just an interest in trying to help um, move this along. Is there anything that, that those people can do, and, and if so, what would you recommend that they? That You're they talking do? about f- um, for financial support, financial support, or, or just um, you know trumpeting the cause, or you know speaking to their congressman, well, any any sort of civic participation or, or monetary participation. I don't think like a it.
1: civic participation right now is is particularly necessary. Mm-hmm. I think that philanthropy um, uh, is the um, fuel. That we run on, mm-hmm. and so they just have to contact the institution. They ask for me mm-hmm. because basically, I would uh, know exactly where it
0: should go. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was overwhelmed with a lot of calls of people want to donate money, mm-hmm. I'd live with that. <laughs> and it, as you look at the your the next five or ten or fifteen years of, of your professional career, do you do you see um, this becoming a larger part of? of what you do every day, both fundraising and using this, this treatment as, as the method that you'll encourage for a lot of patients that you see?
1: Well, okay. <clears throat> it's, <excuse> me.
0: <clears throat> it's only a small fraction of the patients right now who have the precise criteria mm-hmm.
1: to right. enroll. Um, my job is really threefold. Mm-hmm. I am the voice that brings patients to Duke. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I return all the calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've got a new, new service uh, uh, access nurse who's joined me uh, who will be uh, important uh, in doing that. Um, I do philanthropy for the program, I do drug company development, and I carry a small number of patients, but Mm -hmm. I don't carry near the number my faculty do because I can't. There's Mm -hmm. just too much intake into the program Mm -hmm. that I have to respond to. Mm
0: -hmm. Last question I want to ask you. Um, I, I know we've talked about a lot of different topics today, but if you were a young doctor, Coming, out of, coming into medicine initially for the first time now, or you 're a, a young high school student, um, knowing what you know now both about you know, the polio research that 's going on at Duke and everything else involved in that 's going on in science these days what would you what would you want to do with your career and what would you encourage young students who are interested in medicine to um, to study and to think about in making a decision like that?
1: I think what they need to do is
0: the first thing of course
1: is take the pre-med courses mm-hmm. that you need to take in college or in high school, get into the college that mm-hmm. lets you take the pre-med courses, go to med school, and then just inhale it. Mm-hmm. Just see what comes to their to their attention and their passion. Whatever you do, you have to love it. Mm-hmm. If you don't love it, you can't do the kind of job that you need to do in terms yep. of hours and dedication. So this is not for everybody. I mean, but Gynecology, pediatrics, I'm a, pediatric, I'm a pediatrician by training, mm-hmm. um, anesthesiology, surgery, just find what strikes your fancy and your passion in med school and go after it that
0: way. Mm -hmm. Henry, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about The Exchange, want to listen to episodes online, or would like to reach out to the show, feel free to visit the show's website at theexchangeshow.com.